Welcome to Refresh, a podcast designed to revive, recharge, and renew your faith and give you the tools to follow Jesus. Refresh comes to you from the Salvation Army in Gwinnett County, Georgia. We meet in person every Sunday at 1030 a.m. or online on Facebook and YouTube at Sal Army Gwinnett. We are excited that you have joined us this week and pray that God will bring his word to life. And now for our speaker. Well, it is, uh, we're here actually now and still in our Lent season, week number three of Lent. About a few years ago, I'm still, you know, a young officer. Uh, and a few years ago, my wife and I had the opportunity to go with our session, with our class, to the Holy Land, to the land where it all started. Have you been there before? Hmm. We have. Actually, all of us have been there in the scriptures. We've all been there. Um, We know the land without even having to step foot on it. But I want to tell you that when you land in person and walk off the plane and go into the physical soil of the Holy Land, there's something about it. The trip was filled with one emotional day after another. There was nothing, I want to tell you, there's nothing like walking in the footsteps of the ancestors of the Bible. Getting to see firsthand where Abraham crossed into the land of Ur. The exact place where Moses led his people to the promised land. You get to see it. The battlefield where King Saul was killed for his disobedience. Visiting the actual city of David. And seeing what is left of the temple that Solomon built, today known as the Western Wall. And there's also nothing like standing on the Mount of Olives, overlooking Jerusalem, seeing the view that they once saw. Being in the Garden of Gethsemane, visiting Calvary, and entering the tomb that they believe could be In fact, the tomb of Christ. But it didn't matter if it was or wasn't, because either way, it was empty. One stop that we made on this trip is uh, it was in the Galilee area, and it was into the city of Magdala. Magdala, very small little fisherman town. We had the opportunity to walk the excavated city itself. I got to see a step inside one of the dug-out synagogues of that city there and see some of the original flooring still in place, the bathing pools, uh, and every little knick-knack you could find in that area. They've been just digging it up, digging it up, recovering and recovering more. The city of Magdala was was a major fishing hub during the time of Jesus, and uh, it was only actually three miles north of the city of Tiberias, which is still actually a very active port today. Now today in Magdala, a modern-day temple stands next to the excavated synagogue, right next to it, actually. Now upon entering this new temple, newly constructed temple of our time, you walk in, you are taken into a room. The room itself is built from stone. The floor is, the walls, and in the middle of the room is a table. This table is used today as a part of worship. 
Many denominations go into this temple day after day, and they use it to experience Christ as if he was still at Magdala. But when I walked in that particular day and to see this table center and all this other stuff, I was taken back not necessarily by the table and the stonework and everything else, but I was taken back by what was hanging behind the table on the wall. Because lay center to the back of the wall was a huge, and I'm talking huge, painting that takes up the entire wall of this area. Now the painting, I have to admit to you, is actually one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen in a painting. Now, I'm not a guy that goes to museums to stare at art on walls and to go and see how it's speaking to me or anything like that. Uh, but I was standing there, maybe it's because I was in the Holy Land, I don't know. But I was staring at this and it just captivated me. But this painting is absolutely breathtaking when you're standing in front of it. And I admit confidently, confidently, while maintaining my man car, that the painting got me emotional started to cry a little bit when I saw it. Because when you see it, when you experience it, it immediately tells you a story. A story that is well known in the church. A story that speaks of the authority and power of Jesus. A story of when our depravity meets his divinity. The story of the sick woman being healed by just touching Jesus' clothes. You know, we continue our Lent series in Matthew chapter 9. A few verses down from where we left off this last week, not far at all, not really much time has gone by since the last time we've gathered here on Sunday morning, at least theoretically through the book of Matthew, that is. But not a lot has, has gone by since the healing of the paralytic man from last week. But Jesus actually did, shortly after that, do something a little unorthodox since our gathering last Sunday. When we continue reading very next thing after Jesus healed the man, he actually went and called Matthew, the tax collector, to follow him. Now this was a big deal to call Matthew to follow him to be a disciple of Jesus. You see, tax collectors were despised. Now even though some of us here today may feel the exact same way about tax collectors, our feelings today are actually in comparison to apples and oranges to how they felt. You see, tax collectors of that time were hated, not just because they were stealing from you when they took a little bit off the top, when they were collecting on behalf of Rome, but the fact that all the tax collectors were Jewish. They were their own people. They were one of them who had sold out to Rome and became rich off of your hard work. Tax collectors lived comfortably. They made very good money. They were given protection from Rome. They never went hungry. They lived in nice houses. 
but they also never had any friends. It was a lonely life to be a tax collector, but a life that was chosen by their choice. And Matthew, yes, the same Matthew that we're reading from today, was one of these tax collectors, one of these traitors that we read about. But you see, what we're about to witness is his collecting days are about to be behind him. It just so happens that after Jesus healed the paralytic men last week, just right after that, as they were walking away, Jesus happened to be walking by that same town's tax booth. And sitting there was Matthew doing his job, collecting taxes. And Jesus, as he was walking by the tax booth, the table where he would collect your money and income from, Jesus walked by and did something that most people would never do with a tax collector. Lock eyes with them. Jesus locked eyes with them, with Matthew, and it captivated him. And then Jesus started walking right over to the table, to the booth, keeping his eyes on the one right behind there. And as he approached the booth, Matthew quickly found out that Jesus wasn't there to pay, but he was there to collect. And he said to that tax collector, the one that everyone spits on and despises and hates, he went to the table and said to him, follow me, follow me. And the scripture says, the moment that he said, follow me, Matthew immediately left his booth. Immediately, during working hours, on the clock. He left it all behind. He didn't clean up, put up, or even lock up. He just left that life on the spot and followed Jesus from that day forward. Matthew, these are the type of people who Jesus selects to follow him. Does this sound familiar? I was a Matthew. And Jesus came and said, follow me. Matthew was so excited to be forgiven. He probably hasn't had anyone look him in the eye in years. To his own doing, no account, no, no doubt about that, to his own doing. But he was excited to be forgiven, to be accepted. Maybe he felt he was too deep in with Rome. There's no way out. But to finally be loved that he had that night was so excited that he had the entire gang over for dinner. He said, come over to my place. It's big enough. It's big enough. And I have enough food. So come on over. I want everybody who claims this Jesus person in their life over to my house. And so they all went to have dinner at Matthew's. Seems like a good restaurant. You ever, ever heard of this restaurant called Sam's on Main? Yeah, right? I think it's in Grayson. I keep hearing about it. Sam's on Main. That'd be a good restaurant. Matthew, Matthew's, Matthew's in Magdala. I don't know. I'm going to copyright that, just FYI, if anyone's paying attention, all right? But here we are. But we're at Matthew's house having dinner. And so they were having a great dinner, having great theology discussions, going back and forth. Matthew's probably just basking, just diving into what this, per this person is having me over for dinner. I haven't eaten with these people in 
forever, years. I've eaten alone in my big house. And here I am now covered by people sharing in. And it was during this dinner, right in the midst of it, burst in through the door is this synagogue ruler. His name was Jerry. He just burst into the door and he had heard that this Jesus guy was having dinner at the tax collector's house. And so he opens the door and he says, Jesus, 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 my little daughter is dying. She's dying. Can you please come and just, just lay your hand on her so that she can be healed? Can you do that, Jesus? And scripture says Jesus didn't sit down and talk about the theological, you know, the things that could happen. No, he didn't say, well, let me sit down and teach you a lesson. We gotta go through this stuff. Just says that immediately Jesus stood from the table and without hesitation said, we gotta go. We have to go. And so then as Jesus stood, he never stands by himself. Then the disciples decide to go with him. And then the crowd decides to go with him. And next thing you know, Jesus has an entourage. And he's going down the road over to this ruler's house, surrounded by people who want to see what Jesus is going to do next. I don't want to miss a moment of it. And he's just almost crowded in, and they're rushing down the road there. And as they're going down the road, Outside, down to the ruler's house, there was, there was a woman, a sick woman, in fact, who was already just out on the road, just seeing the commotion. What's going on here? And she was watching the commotion go on. And then she recognized, that's Jesus. But the crowd is too big. You see, no one actually knows what her illness was, this particular woman that was just outside that night on the street. No one knows her illness was. All the scripture says is that she had been bleeding for 12 years and no doctor could heal her. She tried, saw multiple, no one can heal her. And according to the Jewish customs, this would mean that for the last 12 years, this woman was ceremonial unclean, meaning anyone that touches her is also now unclean. Most likely, this is a woman who probably hasn't touched or been touched in 12 years. Off to the side, separated from society. Don't come close. Stay on your side and I'll stay on mine. And here she is in the evening. Notice it's not in day. In the evening when they're having dinner, she's now out on the street seeing the commotion. Probably thinking she had the place to herself, but now there's a large crowd. Do I run? Do I hide? Do I, do I separate myself? But until she saw the face of Jesus, that moment, this sick woman said to herself, if I can only touch his cloak. Just his clothes. I don't even want his attention. I don't even want him to look at. He doesn't even have to stare at. I just want to touch his clothes. And I know that if I do that, I will be healed. I know that. But see, but that decision meant risking it all. That, that, the risk and uncertainty of, of public humiliation, of public ridicule, of public exile, this was the risk at hand, to be completely separated from the entire society. 
But then that's when it happened. That through the uncertainty came the unexpected. She did get close enough just to touch his clothes. Just a touch of it. And right when she did, right when she touched his clothes, who touched me? Who touched me? Now Peter's going, calm down, Jesus. Listen, we're in a pretty big crowd. He's probably a little confused going, why are you going on about this? Everyone's touching you. I'm touching you. What's going on? Like, what's the deal, Jesus? And he says, no, 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 no. Who touched me? And again, Peter is not understanding the question. Everyone is touching you, Jesus. Until Jesus said, no, 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 no. I felt the exchange of power come from me. Who touched me? And then he stops what he's doing to go on the hunt. He is seeking for who touched him. And there he is looking and seeking, and then he finally finds the one, the woman. And when he, she, when he finds her, she's not standing with her chest out and proud going, Jesus, I'm the one that touched you. No, the scripture says that she was actually on her knees on the ground with her head bowed, begging at his feet, trembling with fear is what the scripture says, begging for his grace, Lord, forgive me. I t- I am, Lord, I am so sorry. I should have kept to my place. I shouldn't have done this. This woman here is begging and trembling in fear because she hasn't touched another person in 12 years. She is afraid that she has made Jesus unclean by touching him. That she has stopped whatever it was Jesus was on his way to do has now been ruined because she just had to touch him. But then Jesus looks at that woman and says, unclean, unclean woman, you, because of your faith, have been healed. You have been healed. And so then he tells her to stand up and go in peace home because you're no longer unclean. Go home. And man, Jesus, in the midst of all this chaos, he had a busy schedule. He was on his way. He still has someone else with But no, he stopped his busy schedule to turn around and look to see who touched him, just so that she can hear the words, you are healed. I wonder if we would do the same in that scenario. Now, wouldn't you believe it, though? Of course. That would be enough for one night. But there's that ruler over there. He's going, Jesus, we got to go. I mean, this is great. Thumbs up. But my daughter is ill. She's dying. We have got to go. And so I'm sure the entourage and the crowd and everything else trying to get that motor moving is a little slow. And in the midst of trying to make it over to the synagogue's house, someone, a servant from the house, came out to meet the ruler and shared with him that unfortunately, in the process of you trying to get here tonight, your daughter has died. She has now been, she's no longer with us, Jarius. And in fact, the scripture says, Go tell the good teacher to stand down. Tell him to go back home. No need to come anymore. And Jesus overheard this conversation between Jairus and the servant. And so he just yells out, don't be afraid. 
Don't be afraid. Just believe, and she will be healed. Just believe. And so Jerry says, let's go. And they're off to the house. And when they arrive in the house, it is filled. The house is filled with mourners who are wailing and crying, who are just, just going into complete and total depression and mourning for this young daughter who has died. And I would probably think it was an odd thing to see that Jesus didn't walk into the house and was doing the, uh, the normal mourning customs. Because what the scripture says is as they were wailing and crying, Jesus kind of came in and went, looked at the girl, looked at the crowd crying, stop crying. What? Uh, stop crying. She's sleeping. She's just asleep. Now, I'm sure if I was in the room, and I'm pretty sure I would think this way, that if I was one of the mourners who just witnessed the, the death of this young girl, I would be looking at Jarius going, this is who you found? This is, a, this is the great teacher? Can't even tell the difference between dying and sleeping. Our salvation is lost, you know? We're going to be under Rome forever. I mean, there's probably going, uh, and in fact, the scripture says that the entire crowd broke their mourning to laugh at Jesus. They went from crying to laughing at him. And in the midst of their laughter, Jesus went over to the young girl, and all he did is grab her hand and just said, my child, get up. And the scripture says that her spirit returned to her. It was gone, but it was returned to her. And then it says the young girl popped right up, started walking around. Just started walking around. Now, I believe that because my three-year-old daughter, I don't know if your kids are like this, but I try to go in the morning, tippy-toe, you know what I mean, going into the bedroom, and I just want to rub her back to get to do like a little slow wake-up, you know, because you just you don't want to cry. You know, hey, baby, hey, you know. But then my daughter, a hundred times out of a hundred, always I'll tippy-toe and I'll touch her back, and she goes, oh, hey, Dad. I mean, that's it every time. She just goes up and goes, and then, I mean, she's zero to 100, right? She's out there getting dressed and all that. And I'm thinking, oh, all right, I guess it's time to go now. But man, I can believe seeing this little girl coming back to life, whoop, and then she's just ready to go, filled with energy, filled with life, filled with excitement about what's to come. And I'm gonna tell you now, in that house, those laughters turn to amaze, to awe, to perhaps... This is the Messiah. This could be him. This could be him. She was healed. And Jesus had himself a busy night. That was all in one night. Three totally different encounters. Three totally different encounters with three identical outcomes. Matthew was given a clean slate. The sick woman, a clean body. 
and the ruler's daughter a clean start. And the one thing all these people had in common, the one thing that all of them had in common, faith. Faith. Faith that Jesus can forgive a broken heart, that faith can bring healing to a broken body, faith that can bring life to a dead soul, even to the worst of souls. There is, now listen now, there is a direct correlation between the power of Jesus and our faith. A direct correlation. You almost, almost, almost always see the two side by side. Always. Our faith, his power. Side by side. Nick's going to play something. Now I'm going to leave this picture up. But let our prayer this morning, let our prayer this morning be, Lord, may our faith be equal to your power. May our faith, Lord, be equal to your power. Amen. And, and, and each of these scriptures, each of these stories, Lord, how you have come to save us from ourselves, from our iniquities, our, our, our failures, our, our lack of faith, all these things. Lord, we're no different than these guys from 2,000 years ago. God, we, we still believe that power you displayed in the scripture is still the power you hold today. You can do these things and are doing these things even today. Father, we, 
journey through Lent. We're, we're, we're looking at your stories and your, your, your history, our history with you. And we're looking at this as we're getting closer and closer to the cross. And I want to just pray as pastor of this church us, Lord, look into our hearts and our souls, and if we if we have things that we need to hand over to you, if we are making choices like Matthew, that are not honoring you, Lord, let me get rid of that. Let it go. Let that be the thing we give for Lent. Take it, take it, take it. prepare our minds and our hearts for what's to come. Not just at the cross, but what is still yet to come for each of us. So Lord, this is our prayer. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Refresh. Be sure to hit subscribe and like us on Facebook and YouTube to never miss an episode. If you liked what you heard, be sure to share it with your friends and family. We pray that you will be refreshed and ready to take on your week. See you next time. God bless.